I'm Jeff Ranke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. The industrial sector knows all too well about the need to innovate product offerings and production strategies in order to stay ahead of the competition. Unfortunately, the same can be said for cyber criminals looking to either steal information or hold your data, manufacturing capabilities, or intellectual property for ransom. Just as you continue to develop new strategies to respond to hacks and protect your digital presence, these bad actors are continuing to update and enhance their schemes in order to improve the success rate of their attacks. In an effort to help counter these bad actors and stay a step ahead, NetScout Systems recently unveiled their biannual Threat Intelligence Report. It offers insight on the continued threats presented by distributed denial of service and ransomware attacks. To help walk us through the report and offer additional insight on some of the new tactics being utilized to carry out these legacy cybersecurity attacks is NetScout's Threat Intelligence Lead, Richard Hummel. Richard, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, looking at the recent threat intelligence report that you guys put out, had a lot of interesting in, a lot of interesting information, facts and figures and research. One of the things that caught my eye is that we continue to talk about these denial of distributed services attacks. These are things that have been around for a while, but there's some nuances here. It seems like the bad guys are getting a little bit better at it. They're not using the same tactics. What can you tell us about these in terms of some of the new tactics that they're using? How can manufacturers identify them and be ready to respond to them? And, and just why do they continue to be so popular? Uh, thanks, Jeff. I definitely appreciate the invite here to come talk to you guys. Um, so yeah, I mean, the DDoS threat landscape is, is crazy and adversaries are always innovating. And so every single time we do one of these reports, which is every six months, there's always something new to talk about. There's new tactics, there's new vectors, there's new targets that adversaries are going after. And the reality is, is that these guys, they really function like a, a startup business. And in startup land, you're really fast. You move quickly, you innovate fit quickly, you have prototypes, you have POCs, everything happens at a really rapid pace. Well, think of that as like the full-time uh, perspective from an adversary. They don't have overhead, they don't have brass that they have to impress, they don't have red tape, right? If something new comes out, a new vector, new tactic, the next day, they're they're testing it in in production environments, right? Live tests against actual victims, and so there really is no spin up time. And so what we see here is that every six months, this landscape changes quite significantly, and that's why we do this every six months versus once every year, uh, because it it just rapidly innovates in the DDoS world. And I would say it's not just the DDoS world that does this. Any kind of criminal enterprise in the cyber world just iterates really, really rapidly. And so some of the phenomena that we're seeing, it actually started at the beginning of 2021. We started to see more uh, direct path, uh, non-spoof type of attacks using TCP floods. So TCP SYN, ACK, RESET. Um, and these are notable because a lot of times these attacks are coming from botnets or they're coming from sources that are not spoofed. It used to be that everybody would talk about volumetric attacks and volumetric reflection amplification, you can spoof where it's coming from. So notoriously, it's super hard to pinpoint, hey, the attack actually came from this person because, well, it's spoofed, right? And in the UDP world, you don't have to worry about that connection-oriented protocol. And so anyway, there's just lots of things where you can't identify where it's coming from. Well, that's not exactly true in the TCP world. So as long as it's not TCP SYN floods being spoofed, you can track this back. Like the IP address in the host that's actually attacking you from a botnet, that is an IP address connected to that host. And so it's a little bit different. And adversaries have been continuing to use these direct path and these TCP-based attacks starting at the beginning of the year. And that has continued. In fact, the TCP-based uh, attack vectors has been basically uh, stalwart. 
And so during the second half of the year, we saw a decrease in attacks. In fact, a significant amount. We went from 5.4 million to, to 4.4 million. And that's a huge number of attacks over the course of six months. And that's almost exclusively tied to a couple of these reflection amplification vectors decreasing like DNS and CLDAP. But the TCP-based stuff, still there. In fact, TCP ACK floods and TCP SYN floods are the number one and two vectors preferred by, by adversaries. And so these adversaries have realized that, you know what, we can't just take a sledgehammer at this anymore. We really have to think about our attacks. We have to do reconnaissance and we have to figure out, okay, this adversary has this protection in place. They have this you know, cloud-based provider. They have this website protection. What means am I going to use to overwhelm that? Sometimes volumetric still works. Other times TCP-based floods work. Other times application layer attacks work, or maybe a low and slow, or maybe it's carpet bombing where, you know what, I'm not gonna go after just one IP address. I'm gonna target all 15,000 of this organization and try to overwhelm all of the different pipes. And so that's kind of what we're seeing. Now, in terms of the manufacturing industry, what we've seen here is a significant increase in, I'll label this as like the digital supply chain. So software publishers, computer manufacturing, computer storage manufacturing, all of these are seeing increases. Yeah. Why are these DDoS attacks such a popular tactic by these cyber criminals? What, what, what is it about that just makes it such a preferred route to go? It's easy, super, yeah. super easy to do. And it's free. Uh, I was, I had a call, I guess it wasn't a call. I had an email come in from a journalist and, and they had asked me, Hey, what's, what's the current average cost to launch a DDoS attack? Just, you know, a basic DDoS attack. And it made me pause because I realized that I don't really know the answer to that. I used to probably three or four years ago, I would have said maybe 20, you know, maybe 10 USD for a very, very small test probe attack, right? That's not true anymore. In fact, I even asked another journalist a little bit later about this. And I said, hey, you tell me what you think it costs to launch a DDoS attack. And the answer was two, 300 USD. Uh, so I put on my, my gray hat and I broke up my malware analysis machine. I, I logged into Tor and I started poking around on these DDoS for hire platforms. And what it turns out is that every single one of the 19 validated platforms that I looked at has a free tier of service. So there is no barrier anymore to getting into the DDoS world. It's, I have an IP address, I have a grudge, and oh, guess what? I have an internet connection. And so now I can go in there and I can put in the target of my DDoS attack and I can launch a free one against them. It, it's that simple. And so there really is no barrier to entry here. And so, it, 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 I mean, why not, right? You have all yeah. these people with, with a, a grudge to pick and, and a vast majority of attacks in the DDoS world are gaming related. And I'm telling you what, gamers can be quite petty. I know because <laughs> I'm a gamer myself and, and sitting there playing Call of Duty online and somebody keeps sniping you from all the way across the map, it makes you really irritated. And so these guys just, they realize that, you know what, I can use a VoIP to be able to figure out this IP address belongs to the person that I'm talking to on my VoIP channel. So let me take that IP address and plug it into this free DDoS for hire platform and just see if I can knock them offline because I'm just tired of their shenanigans, right? And so that it's it's that simple. It's just it's crazy, man. So when we that's terrifying. Um, when we look at manufacturers that have all this intellectual property and all these machines now operating on potentially separate IP addresses for for their on their production floor, what can they do to at least be prepared? I prevent might be going too far, but at least be prepared to respond to these DDoS attacks. So you know what though, uh, in the DDoS world, I think it's perfectly adequate to say prevent. 
because it's quite different than a lot of these other attacks. Let's just compare DDoS and ransomware. What happens once ransomware gets in the system? You're hosed, right? Your, yeah. your files are encrypted unless you pay, which I never encourage to do, unless you pay or some law enforcement agency out there, some security researcher hacks the server and they get the encryption keys or somebody reverses the protocol and figures out, oh, the, the keys are stored locally so we can, we can recover this. But in the DDoS world, preparing will prevent a lot of downtime from these DDoS attacks. Understanding that you will get DDoS attacked, whether directly or indirectly. And I say indirectly because DDoS has a massive collateral damage footprint. Um, take the recent attacks against VoIP providers in Eastern Europe that expanded to North America and various other parts of the world. These VoIP providers got hit hard, but they weren't the only ones that suffered here. It was every single one of their subscribers could now no longer make phone calls. And so that footprint is huge. And sometimes you go after, like an adversary goes after a data center and everybody inside that data center, whether it's an enterprise, telecommunications, satellite telecoms, doesn't matter, they go offline. And so at some point in time, every person is going to be hit by or experience DDoS attacks. So understanding that that is the current landscape and understanding that that is a, a eventual outcome and then taking steps to prepare that. Most service providers are going to have some form of DDoS mitigation protection services. Does your service provider, have you looked to see what they do? If you are a small business and you're using them for your internet, do they adequately protect you? Maybe they have like a, a basic package that's part of your service platform, but maybe you need to take an extra step and, and engage the cloud provider to make sure your website's protected. And so understanding that you will be targeted at some point and then taking those steps, you can absolutely prevent the vast majority of DDoS attacks. And that is one of the biggest key differentiators between cyber threats in the DDoS space and other. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you can prevent this. Now, other steps you can do, you have a massive footprint, you have a lot of things connected to the internet, reduce your footprint. Not everything needs to have a public facing IP address. Put things behind firewalls, put things behind or inside the castle. That's increasingly hard to do in a work from home environment, right? Because we used to all be inside the enterprise and now we all have our corporate computers, our bring your own devices, our phones, our whatever IoT devices at home behind unsecured routers. Uh, and so even taking steps like that, like let's just say you moved into this kind of work from home environment, your enterprise is now distributed. How do you connect back into your corporate assets? What happens if a, a personal, uh, an employee gets compromised? What do they have access to? What are their permissions? What do you, how are you isolating and segmenting your crown jewels of the company? Should an employee be able to reach directly into a core server, such as like uh, uh, an update server or a group policies that can then distribute malware or some other threat to the rest of the organization? Probably not, right? You probably want to limit some of those accesses to on-prem or at least have multiple checks and balances to make sure that if somebody does compromise an account, they can't still get direct access. You also have multi-factor authentication or maybe you have some other processes in place. And so there are ways to do this. And I think it's just a matter of you have to look at all of your assets, right? No matter where they're at and understand that the more you have connected, the more you have to secure. And adversaries realize that as well. They only have to find one weak link. We as security defenders have to defend everything. And so the, as much as you can, reduce that footprint. Richard, this has been fantastic. A lot of great information here that we can, uh, a lot of takeaway value. Absolutely. For more information on the work that NetScout does, you can go to their website, netscout.com. And to take a look at that report that we keep talking about, that's netscout.com slash threat report. Richard, again, thanks so much for the time today.
Thanks so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. To catch up on past episodes, you can go to manufacturing.net, ien.com, or mbtmag.com. For Richard Hummel, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.